0: Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, we're talking anti-war activism with Anne Wright, who was in the U.S. Army-slash-Army Reserves for 29 years and retired as a colonel but who, by my count, has been a full-time model anti-war activist for over 17 years, so less than a dozen to go to match the Army career. Anne Wright resigned from the U.S. government in March 2003 in opposition to the war on Iraq. She is the co-author of Dissent, Voices of Conscience. Anne Wright, welcome back to Talk Nation Radio.
1: Well, thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be with you
0: today. Uh, And so many things we could talk about. Uh, You and I both recently wrote chapters on how we became peace activists for a book called Bending the Ark. And there's an online event with all of the authors of the chapters coming up that uh, people can find out about at worldbeyondwar.org. Uh, I was struck more by the dissimilarities than the similarities among all the book's chapters. It seems that almost anybody could become a peace activist, doesn't it? Well, it, it
1: does, and I, too, I was fascinated reading the, the uh, stories of the other, what, almost 20 people that uh, they had contacted, asked how uh, each one of us had become active as, uh, uh, in the anti-war movement, the peace movement, And it was quite amazing the variety of ways that people uh, entered into this and how what they've been doing. So I I found it a fascinating book, and I, too, am looking forward to this upcoming event where many of us will be able to talk about all of this, and hopefully people will be interested in it.
0: Uh, I hope so very much. You you also have been uh, working on editing transcripts, I understand, of long interviews you did back in 2003 and in 2019, just last year. W- what are these reminding you of in terms of how you became a peace activist uh, and and what's happened since?
1: Well, it is kind of remarkable. In 2003, after I had resigned from the government over the Iraq war, the Association for uh Di- diplomacy studies and training uh, got in touch with me and said they wanted to do an interview about my time uh, in the State Department and and other times and I thought well are you sure you want to talk to me I just quit government over the war and they said no that's what we want to talk to you about because we want it recorded uh, why you decided that you would resign and what led up to it and your background and all that so in 2003 um, uh, we sat for almost three days as this fellow who's now 92 years old, Sue Kennedy, uh, went through a series of questions that actually they asked all of the people that they interviewed, and the majority of people, of course, have retired from the Foreign Service, and the three of us that resigned over the Iraq War, uh, they had a few extra little questions for us, but it was on a format where they started with your your childhood, brought you all the way up to what? when you entered the government service. And for me, it was the Army first and then the State Department. So that, that was done in 2003, and the transcript of it was actually put into the Library of Congress, where it's been sitting and actually has been used uh, by various uh, people that are doing work on things like the U.S. intervention uh, invasion of Grenada or Somalia or Sierra Leone, places that I, I've been. And had uh, the interview had an extensive amount of information about uh, what had gone on there. And then in 2019, I was flabbergasted when Stu Kennedy, who was 91 at the time, uh, called and said, you know, Anne, I kind of read about some of the stuff you've been doing since you resigned 18, 17, 16 years ago. And I think that would be interesting to add to your interview that we did in 2003. So... I went back and we had a day-long interview, which was really interesting because it turned out that, um, well, Stu Kennedy was an uh, interesting part of it. He certainly didn't agree with all the protests that I, I'd i been a part of. So that was fun uh, going back and forth on why the peace community and the anti-war community uh, has done certain things. And anyway, so all of that's now out there and I'm trying to edit it and see if we can't put it in some form of a... Um, a book format, which will be fascinating because it is, you know, in 2003, I, cert- I had certain views coming out of the U.S. government after 32 years or so of being in the government, in both the Army and the Foreign Service, and although I'd, I'd resigned over the Iraq War, my thought process had not come around in those short months uh, to what it is now. So, the editing of the 2003 manuscript is Is, uh, oh, it's kind of hard trying to retain, because I think it's important for people to realize or, or to see where I was in my political thinking coming out of the government and where I have evolved to. Uh, now a decade and a half later.
0: Yeah, it's an ever-changing process. I think uh, you're not—you don't just flip a switch and you're you're against war. You you develop your understanding of how you're against war. Um, what do you what do you make? I, I mean, I remember back 2005 or so, Camp Casey in Texas, and all the activism against uh, that war at that time. What do you make of the apparent rehabilitation of, of George W. Bush in in many circles, as if none of his crimes ever happened?
1: Well, it just makes me sick in my stomach. I mean, George Bush, uh, Dick Cheney, Condoleezza Rice, uh, uh, Colin Powell, all of those people ought to be in jail. Uh, that's what we we said should be happening to them back in 2003, 4, 5, and 6, and my opinion has not changed at all. What they did to the country of Iraq, uh, what they did to the country of the United States, uh, they should be held accountable for. And this rehabilitation stuff that's going on uh, is just uh, sickening. And I guess part of it is that now we've got Trump, and so uh, he, he makes... Bush looked better in some people's eyes, but I certainly don't agree with
0: them. Yeah, I I can see where that leads, right? Because all you need is somebody worse than Trump, and and will be instructed to like Trump now. It I don't I don't think that leads anywhere good. Um, W- yeah. w- what have you been been doing more recently? I know one project you've been working on is uh, opposition to RIMPAC, which uh, I'm afraid many people may not even know what that is. Can you tell us what that's about?
1: Yes, it's uh, the RIMPAC is called Rim of the Pacific, and it's the, the largest naval military uh, war practice that there is in the world. And it's held every two years uh, in the waters off Hawaii, and usually there are uh, 20 to 25 countries that participate. There can be up to 200 vessels, uh, uh, aircraft, submarines, uh, 25,000 people coming from these 20 to 25 countries. Uh, it's did it scaled back this year because of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, but there still are going to be uh, countries that are sending their ships uh, to participate to... You know, practice war-making, and as we see what's going on in, in uh, the Pacific, and the Chow, South China Sea, the confrontations with uh, uh, China, uh, both on the sea uh, and uh, in the political processes, uh, it is a very dangerous uh, time. Right now, the United States has two battle carrier groups that are in the Ch- South China Sea that have been there for the... Uh, over six weeks, so the the ramp-up of U.S. military war practice uh, directly in the region around China is very strong, and then you have this international war practice that's going off uh, off in the waters of, of Hawaii, the middle part of August to the end of August. You know, it, it really was a, a dramatic increase in the uh, projection of U.S. Uh, uh, how to say, authority in the region. So it's, uh, it's a very uh, dynamic time, to put it in, in polite terms, but a very dangerous confrontation that could be taking place in the South China Sea.
0: We are speaking with Anne Wright, who is the author of or co-author of Dissent Voices of Conscience, uh, and hopefully of another book coming out soon. Uh, and one of the projects that you've played a big role in uh, during all these years of, of peace activism uh, is the, the Gaza Freedom Flotilla, uh, and that's, uh, I guess, struggling with, uh, with the coronavirus crisis. What's the, what's the current status of activism there?
1: In Gaza, uh, you know, the tiny little place that's 25 miles long, 5 miles wide, uh, is an open-air prison because the Israelis and Egyptians, but the Israelis primarily will not let anything in unless they approve it, and they don't approve much, and they bomb the heck out of it, and our Gaza Freedom flotilla tries to to break the naval blockade of Gaza. Uh, The COVID crisis has... uh, in, in a very populated area that has over 2 million people in that small little little area, uh, it can go like wildfire. But to the credit, of uh, a very uh, small but very dedicated uh, health professional crew that's in Gaza, they've been pretty well able to contain it because they have quarantined people in a quarantine camp that's uh, right on the border with uh, with Egypt, is, is which is where uh, the people that uh, arrived back in April, uh, that actually ended up having COVID, they were tested and they were stopped there. So the in Gaza in right now, the COVID crisis is under control. However, over at the West Bank, um, uh, the Palestinians that are in the West Bank um, and Palestinians that are Israeli citizens uh, that live in the borders of what Israel calls its its land there, Uh, they're having a very difficult time. And in fact, uh, the Israelis uh, knocked over one of the COVID um, uh, testing facilities that was uh, in the city of Hebron. So, you know, it's very very difficult there. So on one level, the isolation that Gaza has that is terrible on 99.9% of everything, it's Kind of helping out right now because they can control much easier uh, the symptoms anybody with symptoms of COVID, and then those that were actually diagnosed with it earlier back in, in March and
0: April. When you, when you say Israel knocked over a testing facility, well, did they accidentally bump into it, or what do you what do you mean by knocked over?
1: Well, when when they knocked it over, they actually destroyed it. Uh, they they destroyed that such as they destroyed homes in the west bank uh, uh, hundreds of homes have been destroyed by by the Israelis and they've destroyed a huge number of the precious olive groves the olive trees that are hundreds if not thousands of years old have been destroyed uh, over many years but apparently in the last uh, six months uh, the Israelis uh, government has been in uh, an active program to destroy as many of the uh, ancient olive groves of the Palestinians as possible.
0: It, it does seem uh, over the past 17 years or so uh, that you've been working on this and that we, that we have seen some Progress, at least in terms of of creating greater levels of activism and education and awareness, and the BDS movement, Uh, what sort of what sort of impact has been had thus far?
1: Well, indeed, the impact uh, of international citizen activism has been very, very strong, uh, to the extent that the Israeli government and Prime Minister Netanyahu has called the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement a strategic threat to the state of Israel. And he said that like 10 different times in one of his addresses to the uh, American-Israeli Public Affairs Council, the AIPAC meeting that happens every year in Washington, D.C. So when he said that, I mean, all of us that have been working so hard to educate people as to what... The, what uh, uh, the Israelis are doing to Palestinians uh, kind of, I mean, we were amazed uh, that, that uh, Netanyahu would actually say that. Well, at the same time, what Netanyahu and Zionists who are in the United States were doing uh, were lobbying state legislators uh, to enact on a state level laws that outlaw the boycott of Israeli goods. And the uh, so now I think there are something like 16 states that have uh, in their laws that it is illegal for you to boycott Israeli goods. And of course, there's a counter uh, legal process that's going on in all of these states, and as as these laws are challenged, they are knocked down. But it just shows how how influential. Uh, the Zionist lobby is not only on a national level, where the state of Israel still gets, you know, over the period of 10 years, they're getting $30 billion, over $3, three, three billion a year, from the United States for uh, its military forces. Uh, on a state level, uh, the Israeli lobbyists are very, very strong uh, to have gotten uh, this number of states to pass laws. And on the educational level, if you look at the influence of the Zionist lobby of rewriting history and writing Palestinians out of history, that's another place where we're fighting back uh, virtually every year in one state after another after another after these pro-Israeli parts of textbooks uh, go into states, led uh, primarily by the state of Texas, which it seems like texas has an ordinance influence over the curriculum uh, around the united states so if it goes into the texas uh, state textbooks then it's adopted in many other places so we do have some programs to battle that back <laughs>
0: You know, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who now has, you know, just millions pouring in from around the country uh, to uh, to fund an opponent, a challenger, to her seat in Congress, has a bill called something like the Stop Arming Human Rights Abusers Act, uh, which would simply uh, forbid the United States to sell arms and ship arms to governments that grossly abuse human rights. Now, how you use deadly arms without abusing human rights is a complete mystery to me, but it, it still seems like it would be uh, something that if anybody heard about it uh, and, and weren't a Congress member, <laughs> but were an ordinary person free to think what they want, uh, they would support that sort of move, wouldn't they?
1: Well, indeed, they should. And, you know, in years past, uh, the United States has had uh, human rights uh, as a part of holding militaries accountable for their actions against their own people. And there have been sanctions that have been put on various militaries at various times, like uh, in Central America on the uh, El Salvadorian military and uh, other other militaries. But that has kind of fallen off over the last years. Uh, so this uh, new uh, initiative that uh, Ilhan Omar has is, is very important. And another uh, Minnesota legislator, uh, uh, Betty, oh, shoot, uh, she, Betty McCollum pardon me, Betty McCollum out of uh, Minneapolis has another bill which targets uh, the Israeli treatment of Palestinian children where the, the Israelis pick up kids, Palestinian kids, some of whom may have thrown a rock at an Israeli or you know or whatever the charge may be that the Israelis want just to have a dragnet to put all these little kids in prison. So Betty McCollum has this bill to make sure that we recognize that that the Israeli government is behind the imprisonment of hundreds of little kids of Palestine.
0: Doesn't it seem like if Palestinians did that to Israelis, or if Iranians did that to Iranians, or if, if anyone uh, in a foreign country did what... Uh, what troops are currently doing in in portland oregon and around the united states it would be grounds for sanctions if not uh bomb threats
1: well isn't that the truth (laughs) yeah well and when you look at what the united states is doing in all of these detention facilities where we have uh, a huge number of uh, kids that are in detention which essentially is in jail uh it's uh you know the kids of the world aren't being treated very well by anybody anymore
0: what do you make of of the U.S. Congress uh, after all of these years of us pushing and prodding and uh, and influencing elections and uh, and we're at this point where uh, where the House and the Senate uh, recently voted overwhelmingly against moving a mere ten percent of the Pentagon's budget to to human and environmental needs <laughs> rather than to the crimes that it currently funds uh, and. And there are some who sort of see this as progress because more people voted the right way than before, even though at that rate of progress it would take decades to get somewhere. Uh, What are are we to do with the U.S. Congress?
1: Well, well, we certainly need to elect new people to that Congress and get some of these old uh, folks out who have no problem at all with uh, increasing the budget. If you look at the military budget over the last years, it is increasing by 10%, and our attempt at getting it reduced by 10% uh, is, uh, you know, it, it makes perfect sense to us, because the military budget, and I say this from a person that was in the military for 29 years, the military budget is totally, totally overblown, and all of this crying and weeping that the, the uh, various uh, politicians have about the poor the U.S. military, where you know its budget is is greater than the next eight countries combined. The the crying is that the military industrial complex, the big companies, the big corporations that make a killing out of killing, uh, aren't getting as much profit, so they can give it back into the electoral uh, campaigns of these congressmen and women. So but we do have to keep pushing hard on who we uh, who we support, who we get elected into the Congress, and. That's about the only way it's going to change, I think, because the just the appeal to uh, to the people once they get into Congress doesn't seem to be working well. And going to the town meetings of all of these people that will be running for Congress uh, in this run-up to the November 3rd election and being there to ask the questions, what are you going to do about the U.S. military budget, and are you going to decrease it and give monies to Needed social pro- programs is something that we as citizens ought must be doing uh, in the next months.
0: I don't think anyone should support or vote for or or fail to work against every single House and Senate member who who voted down that ten percent move, even though that's three quarters of them. Um, as I mean, am I am I crazy or do they all deserve to be tossed out?
1: Well, I think they should be all tossed out, and that would definitely send a signal. And if if people in their districts uh, will rally together to say, "You're going to get diselected on this issue alone," we feel so strongly that we have to reduce that budget, so that the military budget, so that we will have funds for all of these other things that we need in our society. That we're going to we're we're going to work for your diselection, uh, uh, for you losing that election on this thing right there. So if you're not willing to change your mind, we're going to put all of our forces up against you on this. It's so it's, it's a worthy goal, and if enough people would do it, it would certainly send some shivers down the backs of some of these politicians.
0: Do, do you think we could we could still if we could figure out how to do it uh get a lot farther just by communicating to more people what is happening i, I mean because we have uh, a president like trump who's who's claiming uh, right up to this moment that he's been actively working you know for 4 years to end various wars, uh, even though you know most wars in the history of the world didn't take four years from start to finish, it takes him. You know, after after Obama was was thanked with great gratitude year after year after year after year for 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 ending. You know, this this ongoing process of ending wars that he never ended. So I, I think they understand that people want the wars ended, uh, and I think. People don't know that Congress keeps voting against ending any of the wars or e- even taking troops out of Germany or Korea, for God's sake.
1: Well, indeed, the public education is a tough part of this. The, it, we very seldom hear anything about that on the, the major news networks. Uh, uh, and in the newspapers that most people don't read anymore, it's not much there, The the... The education of Americans through social media seems to be the, uh, the, the avenue that we have to be taking and trying to get these types of subjects on a platform that millions of people will look at, and particularly the, the youth of our country that, that have to start realizing how much money is being blown on the military versus what they could be using for their own uh, education and for the, their own housing and things like that, trying to get the messages crafted in such a way that they'll be picked up by the, the youth of our country and how they, how they uh, communicate is really, really a challenge.
0: And right, we have just a few minutes left. What do, you, what do you think is the current state of the State Department and diplomacy, and are there uh, colleagues of yours left behind who are doing anything worthwhile, or are they all working to, to market more weapons sales?
1: Well, I think the majority of, well, I shouldn't say majority. The, there are a lot of good people that are in the State Department still. Uh, it's been 16 years since I've been in there. 17 years. I still do have some friends in there. You know, they're the ones that are remaining that haven't resigned yet. <laughs> uh, uh, are trying to, to to be a part of a basic uh, group of people that will be there through the various administrations. And but as you mentioned, the various administrations. It doesn't really matter whether it's Democrat or Republican. Have been in there for for weapon sales. That's been one of the the key. Well, it is the biggest export, I guess, uh, the United States has uh, on trying to hold some sort of an ethical, moral outlook on how one should operate in the world as a country. We do have some people left, but they are not, not a lot of them, I'm afraid. And the difficulties that they've seen under this administration have been very severe, very, very difficult for
0: them. Is there a growing list of of former State Department employees willing to, to speak out and get active as as you have?
1: Well, there are at various times we have had uh, some of the former ambassadors that have have uh, spoken out on various issues, specific on specific issues. Uh, sadly, uh, we really don't have uh, any that have. Joined up as I have, uh, with me in joining so many uh, peace organizations and anti-war organizations, and be being, being willing to speak out uh, uh, as much as I have. However, uh, I'm not losing hope <laughs> that there may be uh, some that will will decide that they will uh, speak out more. You know, we through this veterans, intelligence professionals for sanity that. Uh, Ray McGovern a former CIA Raleigh, former uh, FBI we do have we have people in uh, from various agencies um, but uh, I'll tell you it does take a, a bit of courage to go up against all of your uh, former colleagues that you've been with for decades and decades and I think that's part of the problem now that they're just our uh People, once they come out of the government, are trying to get a breath of fresh air, and it's our job to encourage them to take that breath and then kind of join the, the challenge of all of these governmental policies that they know are not, uh, right for
0: our country. Well, we are very glad, Anne Wright, that you've had the courage to do this and are working to encourage others. And and I would urge everyone to go to worldbeyondwar.org and look for the Kateri Peace Conference, which is happening August 21st to 22nd. And Anne Wright and I will be, will be speaking and uh, look forward to talking with you there. And thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank
1: you, David. Good luck to you on everything.
0: This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swan. And take action at RootsAction.org Help End War at WorldBeyondWar.org Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a non-profit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.